Amen. Thank you, worship team. Children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. Everyone else, go ahead and take your Bibles and let's open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This morning, we're going to continue our study on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. This morning, we're going to look specifically at how the Holy Spirit has equipped us with differing spiritual gifts. And so the doctrine of the Holy Spirit that we've been looking at for the past month has been sort of focused on not just understanding who the Spirit is, but more specifically, what has the Holy Spirit or what does the Holy Spirit do for us as believers? And one of the most impactful ways the Holy Spirit works in our lives as individual believers, but most specifically as a church through those individual believers is by empowering and equipping us with spiritual gifts. And so we're going to look at this introductory text. We're not going to study on spiritual gifts. We're not kicking off a series. We're just going to continue in our Doctrine of the Holy Spirit series by looking at the first 11 verses of chapter 12. Now, before we get into the context of chapter 12, we need to remember the context of the letter to Corinth as a whole. And so before we jump in, let me just kind of remind you of some things that you may have forgotten about the church at Corinth. Remember that the city of Corinth was a major city of its time. It was not only a major city, but it was a port city. And because it was a port city, a lot of travelers made their way through the city of Corinth. Very few of them stayed there. There was a huge population that lived there, but the vast majority of people on a daily basis at Corinth would have likely been traveling through the city from one place to another doing business and doing trade. Because of that, Corinth had discovered that they could make a lot of money by sort of catering to the needs of those that came to town. And so when you think of Corinth, probably a modern day equivalent would be Las Vegas, right? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's not a motto because there's a lot of holiness and purity going on. Amen. Right. That's a motto that basically says, come here. We have anonymity. No one will find out the wickedness that's done here in this city. That was Corinth. Corinth was a port city. And because of that, they catered to a lot of different things. Matter of fact, Corinth had sort of a buffet, if you will, of religions. You could find anything and everything to worship in the city of Corinth. Remember, Corinth was also famous because it had a temple dedicated to the goddess of Aphrodite where to worship her, you would go and you would lay with one of the temple prostitutes as a form of worship. The word Corinth or to Corinthianize, it was literally slang for sexual immorality known around the town. And so to Corinthianize was to be immoral. That's the city of Corinth, right? And again, we wonder... Why is our church named Corinth Baptist Church? Amen? Right? We live in Corinth Holders. We dropped the Holders, Corinth Baptist Church. But looking back, maybe we should have kept the Holders just to distinguish the difference between us and the city of Corinth here. But Corinth was an incredibly wicked city. And the people that made up the church in Corinth, think about it, they were saved from the depravity of the city all around them. And so everybody within the city of Corinth likely had that kind of a background. Because of that, the city at Corinth, excuse me, the church at Corinth dealt with a lot of issues. As a matter of fact, if you go back and you read the book of 1 Corinthians, there are a lot of issues that Paul has to deal with. The church literally sends Paul a letter 
saying, we've got issues we need you to address. But upon hearing about how the church is doing, Paul spends the first six chapters of the book dealing with the issues he heard about from Chloe and her household. And then in chapter 7, he talks about the issues they were having that they wrote him about. So here in chapter 12, we get to a text where the church is curious and confused about how spiritual gifts work. Because what the church had seen around them is that signs and wonders were a part of pagan religions. Some of those signs and wonders were legitimate signs and wonders that were empowered by the devil and by demons. Others were sort of aided by hallucinogens and alcohol. But all the pagan religions around the city had different signs and wonders. And so Paul was writing to the church because the church was trying to figure out how do we know what's a spiritual gift and what's a trick? How do we know what's from God and what's not from God? Why does this person have this spiritual gift, but yet I only have this spiritual gift? That one's more flashy than mine. Why did God give spiritual gifts to begin with? And so what Paul does in the first 11 verses of chapter 12, before getting into a lot more detail and addressing more issues in the following chapters of 13 and 14, is Paul basically gives us some basic truths, some basic principles concerning our being equipped with spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit. And so in the text, we're going to see four truths concerning our being equipped with spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to read verses 1 through 11. We'll pray, and then we're going to walk through the text together this morning. So jump with me now into verse 1 of chapter 12. Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, now, there are a varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the workings of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions, to, excuse me, who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the time we have together this morning to study through this text. Lord, we know that this text has been abused and misused. There's been lots of confusion when it comes to spiritual gifts in general. And that is exactly the context we find ourselves in, which is why Paul is writing to the church at Corinth to begin with. So Lord, I pray that as we walk through the text together this morning, Lord, that first of all, you, the Holy Spirit, would be exalted as these are gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, the Holy Spirit empowers, and that all of these differing gifts that we possess are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. So, Lord, I pray that we will see that clearly this morning. Lord, I pray that we would also answer any questions that we may personally have, and that as we come away from this text, we would have a better understanding 
of what these gifts are for and how the Spirit works in us and through us to use these gifts ultimately for your glory and for the expansion of your kingdom. Lord, we love you and we praise you, Lord Jesus. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, in the text, we're going to see four truths concerning our being equipped with spiritual gifts. First of all, we see that spiritual gifts are given to believers only. Let me say that again. Spiritual gifts are given to believers only. Now, again, Corinth has misused spiritual gifts. They have abused them. The world around them has confused them. And so they write to Paul asking him, What do we do with spiritual gifts? And notice in verse 1, Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed concerning spiritual gifts. Now, as we're going to see as we make our way through the text, the reason that Paul doesn't want them to be uninformed is because spiritual gifts are an incredibly important part of the church. Now, I know that oftentimes as Baptists, we sort of have a history of being afraid of spiritual gifts because we don't want to get too charismatic. We don't want to get too far out there, as some might think. But what oftentimes we do in order to stop from going too far, we don't go far enough. And we're guilty of quenching the Spirit instead of submitting to and following the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed about this because the ministry of the Holy Spirit through spiritual gifts is a huge, huge part of what you're going to do as the body of Christ. And he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. And then he reminds them of their past. Notice, he says, all of you were once pagans or Gentiles, just like the nation, just like the city you live in. All of you at one time were led astray to these mute or these dumb idols. The word mute, of course, means unable to speak. In other words, these idols were fake. They were not alive. They were lifeless manifestations of man. Right? They, they, were, they, were, they were no more alive than this plastic candle. Right? Spoiler alert, it's plastic. That's not real. See, no wax is coming out. It's beautiful, but not real. Right? They were lifeless. They had no life in them. They were man-made idols that were unable to communicate to their followers. And because of that, if they had any life in them, it wasn't genuine life. It was false life empowered by the devil, empowered by demons, maybe even enhanced by alcohol. It was fake. It was false. And Paul says, all of you came out of that background And because you came out of that background, some of you are getting confused about what is a spiritual gift and what is just a trick of the devil. So Paul says, let me get you some parameters so you can understand how this is going to work. Notice Paul says, as we continue on in verse 3, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse. Here's what Paul means by that. In the city of Corinth, there were people practicing all kinds of stuff. And the church is going, Paul, how do we know what's real and what's not? Paul says, here's how you can distinguish what's real. Anybody performing a trick that vagues or camouflages itself as if it's a spiritual gift, but yet demeans or denies the reality of Christ is false. Anyone who curses Jesus or says Jesus is accursed is not from God. So for us today, 
if we hear someone or you hear someone teaching or preaching what they claim to be a truth of Scripture that you can't find in your Bible, it is not true, it is not real. They are a false teacher. Amen? And I want to warn you, there's a lot of really, really famous ones that come on TV, that write books, that make bestsellers lists. Many of them used to be able to found in the store of Lifeway. You can still buy them online at Lifeway. The stores no longer exist. And I just want you to understand, there is a lot of false teaching out there that holds up what they claim to be a work of the Spirit, but it's not true because it denies the reality of who Jesus is or it denies some other aspect of God's Word. Amen? And so Paul says, I want you to understand, if anyone demeans the character of Christ, they are not from God. Conversely, Paul says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. Now, Paul doesn't mean that no one can utter those words. Paul means no one can say that and mean that unless the Holy Spirit of God has called them unto salvation and worked in their life. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Spiritual gifts are given to believers only. Not those who have just casually said, yeah, Jesus is God's son. Yeah, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe Jesus is Lord. You can say those things. But my question to you this morning is, do you mean those things? You see, if I say Jesus is Lord and I mean it, what I mean is Jesus is my Lord. Amen? It's amazing how as humanity we can claim that God is sovereign, that he is over all, but yet try to excuse us from that list. Right? We we love to claim God is sovereign. The pagan world around us loves to claim that God is sovereign. Right? Wait for the next natural disaster and what will you hear people do? They'll be crying out to God. Right? Our thoughts and our prayers are with them. Right? They'll, 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 and it's, it's a big enough national disaster, they'll sing songs about God, right? They'll, they'll cry to God when things are falling apart. They'll claim God is in control, Jesus is Lord, but they don't mean Jesus is my Lord, meaning that I've submitted my life to Him, that I'm living my life for the glory of God. And I just want you to understand, that's the difference between knowing of God and knowing God personally as your Lord and Savior. You see, reality is you might be here this morning, And you might truly believe that Jesus is Lord, but you've never made him your Lord. You've never come to the place in your life where you have confessed your sin to God and you have surrendered yourself to God and said, God, I want you to lead God and direct my life. I'm here to follow you and that's all. And I want you to understand until you've done that, you aren't really following Jesus. You are not truly a child of God. And conversely, you will not possess a spiritual gift until you are truly following Jesus. Amen? The good news is, if you're here and you're hearing this, that means the Lord has blessed you with breath and life so that you can come to faith in Him. Amen? And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never really submitted to Him as Lord and Savior of your life, then before you leave here today, you can do just that. Amen? We're not at the invitation yet, so don't get your hopes up. But in like 45 minutes, when we get to the invitation, right, you can come forward and you can respond or you can see me afterwards. But I want you to understand, if you feel God speaking to your heart right now, don't lose that. That's God letting you know that he loves you, that he wants a relationship with you, that you're not quite there.
and that you need to trust him as your Lord and Savior. Amen? And so what Paul says in the first three verses that we must understand is that spiritual gifts are given to believers only. And then secondly, Paul says spiritual gifts are given to encourage unity. Now look with me in verses 4 and following. I love what Paul says here. Paul gives us a lot of clarity in these verses that I don't want us to miss. Notice he says, first of all, there are a varieties of gifts. Now, first of all, the word gifts there, it's literally the word that we translate grace elsewhere. And it carries with it this idea that these are grace gifts. Here's what I mean by that. These are gifts that were given to you not based upon your talent or your ability. Amen? These are gifts that were unmerited, undeserved, that God gave you as a believer to further his kingdom and to further his people. Right? Now, talents and abilities are great. And God gives those talents and those abilities, but those talents and those abilities are given to both believers and non-believers alike. For instance, there's a lot of people in the world that can play instruments. Not all of them love Jesus and pray for God's glory. Amen? That's a talent. That's an ability, not a spiritual gift. The difference is a spiritual gift is something that God has given to you for the specific purpose of furthering his kingdom. So, you can be given the gift of teaching and you can use that to teach the word of God to people. That's a spiritual gift. You can teach math at your local school. That is an ability. That's in a talent. One's being done to further the kingdom of God. The other's being done to enhance math skills at your local school. That's not a bad thing, by the way, right? Talents and abilities, they're good. And we should use all of them for the glory of God. Amen. But a spiritual gift is specifically given by the Holy Spirit to be used to further the kingdom of God. And so, first of all, he says that there are a varieties of gifts. So that gift term means that it's, these are things that God has given to us freely. But notice he says there's a variety of these. There's not one size fits all. Right? There's a whole bunch of different gifts. We're going to look at some in a minute, but even the list we're going to look at isn't exhaustive. There's many more found all throughout Scripture. There's a lots of different gifts that God has given to us. So there's a variety, excuse me, of gifts. But notice what he says, but the same spirit. Lots of different gifts, but they all come from the same spirit. Amen. And what we find is that that variety is for the purpose of bringing about unity. Right. The diversity is what brings about our unity. So there's a lots of different gifts but it's the same spirit. So spiritual gifts, notice, are given to encourage unity. And so he says there's a lot of different gifts, but there's the same spirit. Then he says there's a lots of different ministries or varieties of services, but the same Lord. In other words, there's a lot of ways to use that one specific gift in a variety of different ministries. Right? So for instance... Someone's upstairs teaching the children right now, using the spiritual gift of teaching to teach kids, right? Earlier this morning, many of you were using that same spiritual gift to teach adults, right? So same gift, different ministries, right? On Tuesday morning, I will be using that gift of teaching to teach children at the local school at first priority, right? Wednesday night, I'll be using that same gift to teach adults while my wife teaches children. Same gift, Different ministries, right? 
So variety of ministries, but who's the one that's empowering and working through it all? It's the same Lord. Amen? It's the Holy Spirit of God. So that if I'm not empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, when I teach, it doesn't matter what I teach, I fall flat on my face. But no matter what ministry God has called me to, if I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to work through me to empower the gift He's given to me, then God's going to use it for His glory. Amen? And so, variety of ministries, but the same Lord. But then notice, continuing on, it's not just a lot of different gifts and a lot of different ministries, but notice he also says in verse 6, there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. The word activities, it, it literally translates as outworkings, or energy even is a good translation for that term. It basically has the, the, the mindset of effect in, in play. So for instance, there's a lot of different effectiveness that those gifts have in those different ministries that God uses. So I can preach this morning and God can use the gift of preaching and it can impact, let's say, 10 people this morning for the glory of God. Guy down the road can do the same gift, preach at a different service and maybe a thousand come to faith in Christ. Right? Different energies, different effects, different activities involved. But does that mean that that God loves me less? Does that mean that God wasn't strong enough in our in our setting? No. Notice what it says at the end of verse 6. It's the same God, the same Lord who works all in all. Right? And so what we find is that God has given these different gifts and ministries and activities all to promote and encourage unity within the body of Christ. We don't all have the same gift, and we're not all going to have the same effect, but God uses all of them for His own glory as He empowers us through the working of the Holy Spirit. What I also love about what it says in verse 6 is that although God has given me the gift, God's the one that still empowers the gift. Amen? Because I am not worthy. I am not able. I I, I prayed this morning knowing that I was going to be preaching two different sermons to two different congregations trying to keep all of it straight up here. My first prayer this morning was, God, I am unable. I'm completely unable. And so, God, I'm praying that you will empower the gift you have given to me and that you will help somehow keep all of it straight so that ultimately you can be glorified and honored through it. Right? We'll let you know in 30 minutes how it, how it works, right? But by God's grace, I was able to do so with confidence, knowing that it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit working through me, amen? And so Paul says these different gifts are given to encourage unity. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 5. He says, for I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as many, excuse me, as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Paul says, God has gifted us and placed us differently on purpose. But we're all a part of the same body of Christ. Amen? 
unified together under the Lordship of Christ, all serving God for his glory, all being empowered by the same Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, spiritual gifts are given to believers only. Spiritual gifts are given to encourage unity. And then thirdly, spiritual gifts are given for the profit of all. Look with me in verse 7. It says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In verse 7, Paul finally tells us why God gave spiritual gifts to begin with. Why did God give spiritual gifts? For the common good, for the profit of all. Notice what it says in verse 7. First of all, it says to each one is given. You know what that means? It means that if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been given a spiritual gift. You've been given a spiritual gift. Now, you haven't been given all of the spiritual gifts, right? But you've been given at least one. Some, some may have more than one, but everybody has at least one manifestation of the Spirit in their lives. You say, well, I don't know what that is. I would encourage you to really start praying and searching scripture so that you can allow God to tell you and speak into you what your spiritual gift is. You can ask others. They might be able to help you with that. But I just want to encourage you, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the spiritual gift he has for you. Because what we see is that that gift has been given to you for the common good. So that if you are not using your spiritual gift, who does it impact? The common good. Us. You see, that's what's so incredible about these spiritual gifts. If I don't use my spiritual gift, it doesn't just impact me, but it impacts you. The spiritual gift has been given for the profit of everyone. And so if I'm not using my spiritual gift, if you're not using your spiritual gift, if we're not doing that which God has called us, caused us to, do, called us to do, it doesn't just impact us, it impacts the body of Christ more. And so Paul says, everybody's been given this manifestation of the Spirit. All of us have been given this for the common good. And then in verse 8, Paul finally begins to list these spiritual gifts. Now, I know what you want. You want us to go through each of these gifts and talk about them and give the details. But you also want to eat lunch today, amen? Or are y'all good from Thanksgiving? You don't, are y'all, are y'all, y'all eaten enough? You're good? Okay, everybody I think still wants to eat lunch today. So we don't have time, as you can tell, to walk through and explain every one of these different gifts that are mentioned. And as a matter of fact, I want you to understand the list that Paul gives in verses 8 through 10, it's not exhaustive. There's more lists coming at the end of this chapter in verses 28 and following. There's even more gifts that are given in Ephesians chapter 4, Romans chapter 12, and even in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks of marriage and celibacy as gifts of the Lord. So there's lots of spiritual gifts that appear all over the New Testament. We don't have time to go through, describe, and define each and every one of them. What I want to do instead is I want us to look at the ones listed in verses 8 through 10, and I want us to notice a common thread between each and every one of them. The common thread is this, they are useless by themselves. In other words, if there's no one to benefit from the gift, there's no purpose of the gift. So look at what it says starting in verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. I would argue if there's no one to hear the utterance, the gift is pointless. 
to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Here's what we see in that list. Those gifts are pointless if there's no one to exercise the gifts on. It would be as if I was preaching to an empty room. It would be worthless. It would do no good whatsoever. Amen? If there's a gift of healing but no one to heal, what good is it? If there's an ability to distinguish between differing spirits but there's no one there to distinguish between, what good is it? And so what Paul makes clear is that the spiritual gifts are not given for the benefit of the gift. They're given for the benefit of the body. In other words, I don't benefit from the gift of preaching. You benefit from the gift of preaching that God has given to me. Amen? That's how the gift works. If you have the gift of encouragement, which we see elsewhere in Scripture, that gift isn't for you to encourage yourself. It's for you to encourage us. Amen? So, I mean, if you stand in front of the mirror and Talk to yourself, encouraging yourself. I guess that may be effective. I don't know. It's weird, but it might be effective. But I need you to use that gift of encouragement on me. Amen? If you've got the gift of administration, which we see elsewhere in Scripture, we need that as a body. That's not for you individually. That's for all of us. Amen? And so what we find is that God has given us these spiritual gifts through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers them. And all of this happens for the benefit of the entire church body matter of fact paul says the same thing in ephesians chapter 4 he says he himself gave some to be apostles some prophets some evangelists some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying or the building up of the body of christ the spiritual gifts that we have they come as gifts from the holy spirit they are empowered by the holy spirit and they are used for the benefit of the body as a whole Amen? So again, let me encourage you. If you're not using the spiritual gift that God has given to you, it's impacting us. And we need you to use it. Amen? Now there's a lot of reasons we don't use our spiritual gifts. Right? Sometimes it's because we don't know what they are yet. Right? Pray about it. If you can't figure it out, come talk to me. I'd love to help you walk through that. Sometimes it's because... We're living in sin. And we're not very effective because of the sin that we're not dealing with. Sometimes it's because we're just not plugged into the local church. Right? We come, we go home, but we're not really plugged into the activities and the ministries of the church. Well, listen, if if that's going on, then there's a spiritual gift that you possess as a believer that we're not getting the benefit of. And that's hurting everybody. Amen? I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. I'm saying that because we need you. Right? We need you. These spiritual gifts have been given for the profit of all. And so all of us need to be actively using our gifts to benefit all of us as a church body. Amen? Spiritual gifts are given to believers only. Spiritual gifts are given to encourage unity. Spiritual gifts are given for the profit of all. And then fourthly and finally, spiritual gifts are given by the will of God. Notice what it says in verse 11. It says, All these are empowered 
by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. A couple of things I want you to notice in verse 11 that are so helpful and encouraging. First of all, notice again in verse 11, all of these are empowered by the same, by the one and same Spirit. Listen, you don't have what it takes. That's why God gave you the gift freely based upon grace. You don't have what it takes. That's why God empowers the gift he gave you. Amen? That, that might sound insulting to you. That's incredibly freeing and encouraging to me. Because you know who already knows I don't have what it takes? Me. I'm fully aware. Amen? We're all fully aware of our shortcomings. We're fully aware that we don't have what it takes. And what's so great about spiritual gifts, God gives them to us based upon His grace. And then He doesn't just give them to us and say, good luck with that. He empowers them. So for the past six months, I would say, I have been building a chicken coop. Right? Six months, probably. A good six months. Yeah. Six months. I'm determined for this not to be a project that I never finish. Right? But here's the problem. Right? I was, I had somebody let me borrow all the tools necessary to build a chicken coop, right? I got, I got saws, I got drills, I got nail guns, I got all kind of stuff that any normal person that knows how to build could have built a chicken coop in an afternoon, right? The problem is I don't know how to use all these things. I'm learning on the fly, right? I've got all five fingers on each hand. We're doing good so far. Amen? Right? Like, I'm, I'm not complaining. I haven't cut off anything important yet. We're good. Right? But the problem is I was given these tools, and it was left upon my own abilities as to what to do with them. Right? And so we're working through trying to figure stuff out, and we're cutting this only to make a mistake. We're putting it here when it should have gone there. We are fumbling and bumbling our way through. Now, good news is we're getting close. Right? We got three out of four walls done. We're, we're in pretty decent shape right now, right? We're, we're, we're heading towards the finish line. And thankfully, Larry and Birdie let us borrow a coop that someone else had put together already, right? So the chickens are still alive. We're, we're doing good so far. But the problem I had is somebody gave me tools, but I don't know how to use the tools. Praise the Lord. That's not what happens with spiritual gifts. God gives us the gifts. And then empowers the use of the gifts. Amen? All we have to be willing to do is use them. Just use them. If God's given you the gift of encouragement, man, open your mouth. Talk to someone. God will use the gift through you. If God's given you the gift of teaching, just teach. Amen? Just teach. You can, you can get better at it. The Holy Spirit will allow you to grow in it. All those things happen, amen? But none of it happens if we don't use it. And so what's so incredible and so encouraging there in verse 11 is that God empowers them. And then the second thing I find incredibly encouraging in verse 11 is it says that He, the Holy Spirit, appropriates or apportions to each one individually as He wills. So you know why you have the gift that you have? Because it was God's will. You know why I have the gift that I have? It's God's will. You say, well, 
well, I, I deserve a different gift. Apparently not. You don't deserve the gift you got. Neither do I. Amen? You say, well, who would think like that? Corinth. They thought like that. Paul's going to address that in verse 14, in chapter 14. Right? They're all bickering and arguing because they want the better gift. Paul tells them in, verse, in chapter 13, you know what the best gift you can have is? It's love. How about you try loving each other? A lot of this will work itself out, Paul says. And so what I love in verse, in verse 11 is Paul tells me, number one, the Holy Spirit's the one who empowers the gift. All I got to be willing to do is use it. And then number two, God gave me the gift he wanted me to have. So when I feel like I'm not worthy, I'm right. When I feel like I didn't deserve it, I'm not right. And when I feel like I'm somebody, I'm wrong. Amen? Because he gave it according to his own will. And what's so incredible is that by giving and empowering the gifts that he has given, the Holy Spirit has one of the most active parts that is played in the growth of the church. It is true without doubt that the Father sent the Son, that the Son died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, and that apart from the Father sending the Son and the Son died on the cross, we would have not salvation. Sounded fancy. We would not have salvation. But don't forget that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He is still upholding all things by the word of his power. Amen? Not like he's just up there hanging out. But he has sent the Holy Spirit to have an impact in our day-to-day life. And it is the Holy Spirit of God we have learned that indwells us as believers, that assures us of our salvation, right? And that is empowering and working through the spiritual gifts He gave to us so that we can benefit one another and so that we can exalt Jesus' name amongst the nations. Amen? So what gift has God given to you? And are you using that gift for the glory of God and for the benefit of the church. Will you pray with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let me ask you, first of all, this morning, can you say that Jesus is your Lord and mean it? In other words, is Jesus really Lord of your life? Have you confessed to the Lord that you're a sinner? Have you surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? And is there evidence in your life that God is working in you and through you? You say, Pastor Will, I've always believed it. But I've never really surrendered my life to Jesus. Well, if that's you this morning, then in just a few moments, we are going to stand to sing the hymn of invitation. And as we do, that's your opportunity to respond to what God is calling you to do. And so if you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, then that's proof that God loves you. It's also proof that God wants a relationship with you. And so as God calls you unto himself, I would encourage you, say yes to him. And surrender your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come forward this morning and say, Will, I want to give my life to Jesus. And I'll tell you everything that you need to know so that you can trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning. But if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus as Lord of your life, then I want to invite you to come. Secondly, church body, 
Are you using the gift that God has given to, again, to given to you? Again, if you don't know what the gift is, pray about it. Ask God to reveal it to you. Ask someone close to you what they think it might be. Come and see me. But as a member of this church, I am urging you to use the gift that God has given to you for the benefit of all of us. And be encouraged that the gift that you have was given to you based upon God's will for you. It's exactly the gift that you're supposed to have. And God's going to empower the gift when you use it. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the encouragement of it. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you would work now during this invitation. If there's someone here that doesn't know you, call them under yourself. If there's someone here that doesn't know the gift that they have, reveal that to them. And Lord, help us as a church body to commit together to using the gifts that you have given to us for your glory and for your honor and for the benefit of us all, knowing that you will empower the gift when we're willing to use it. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.